Welcome to Fun and Fundraising, everybody, the podcast where we talk with people behind top galas and signature fundraisers to showcase how they positively transform their communities. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, and today I'm really excited to have my friend Bob Bercy on, and Bob is the Executive and Artistic Director for the Texas Performing Arts. So one thing I thought would be interesting is fundraising can be fun in a lot of different ways. And I thought that um, talking with someone as well-versed on fundraising as Bob from a slightly different realm of fun, which is obviously through the Texas Performing Arts, which is one of the top non-performing arts venues or performing arts venues in Texas, um, to have him on as a guest to talk about fundraising in terms of ticket sales and in terms of creating interesting programs that are going to that are going to create engagement for to create a loyal following and a devoted audience year round. So with that, Bob, welcome. And I'm really excited to have you on as a guest today. Hi, Rob. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you. Absolutely. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about the Texas Performing Arts and what the mission of the organization is. Absolutely. So by way of background, Texas Performing Arts is the Performing Arts Center at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, a lot of people know us for Bass Concert Hall, which is our big 3,000-seat theater. We also program a smaller space called the McCullough Theater and other venues on the UT campus and throughout the city of Austin. Uh, we take our programming beyond campus as well. And the mission of our organization is to create, present, and connect people with live performance. So that means making new art, uh, creating a great place to see a show, and then also giving folks, students in particular of all ages, an opportunity to go beyond the performance and connect more deeply with art and artists. You know, that's really interesting. That's a great, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk a little bit about, um, you know, how you put on, you know, because your schedules that you always put on every year are always very interesting and do what you say and they give a bunch of different viewpoints. Um, but before we do that, you know, I wanted to dive a little bit more about you and kind of what makes you, you know, so passionate about this organization, you know, that you, you know, that you are you know, really devoting your life and professional energy to. Yes, these jobs are big, big commitments. So you sort of live and breathe the um, making and running of these large institutions like Texas Performing Arts is. And what makes me so passionate about our organization and the work that we do is the incredible range of experiences that we create for people. There really is something for everyone in our programming from Broadway to concerts and comedy to experimental or contemporary performance. And I think it's really rare to have organizations and spaces in civic life right now where truly everyone can find a way to engage. And that's something that we offer. You know, that's really, you know, that's a really good point. And I'm glad you brought up the range and, you know, the range of performances and the diversity of the performances. Because I think one of the reasons that you all are able to do that so well is that you have a diverse board. And it's not just necessarily people in your own backyard in Austin, but you've also got people, you know, throughout the state of Texas. And you've also got, you know, um, people from beyond the state of Texas that are, you know, serve on the board. And how do you think, you know, can you share a little bit about how you think that helped strengthen your organization, you know, in terms of programming and in terms of content and just in terms of the overall outreach um, that you're able to do? Right. Our National Leadership Board at Texas Performing Arts is something new. So Texas Performing Arts has been around for 42 years now. It was founded and opened in 19. 19- 
1981 as the University of Texas Performing Arts Center. And for the first 40 years of its history, it didn't have a board because we're uh, an entity of the University of Texas, which is a governmental entity. Um, you're not required to have a fiduciary board the way a freestanding nonprofit would. So all boards at the university, and this is common for uh, campus-based entities, they're advisory in nature. And we didn't have one for our organization. But when I arrived, coming from New York, I was really accustomed to working with strong, active, engaged, supportive volunteer leaders through a board structure. And that really felt like something that was missing here, that we wanted to have that advisorial perspective. We wanted to have that group of key supporters who could help, help us imagine and realize the future of the organization. So working with our incredible director of development, Anna Langdell, who's been my partner and collaborator in creating our national leadership board, we founded this group uh, about two years ago and have been growing it steadily as a national group because Texas Performing Arts is a nationally impactful organization. We're one of the top 15 largest and busiest performing arts centers in the U.S. in terms of the number of events that we present and the size of our audiences. And we're among the top 25 performing arts centers of our size in the world. Uh, so we have local impact, we have national impact, and we engage in an international uh, ecosystem as well. So we wanted to have a diverse group of board members who could represent those different perspectives. So we've got great folks who are here in Austin and then other folks from around the country and all of those perspectives come together to help us uh, be thinking big picture about how we can have the greatest local, national and international impacts. Gosh, there are so many different directions I want to go based on what you said, because there's so many different things that we could unpack. But I do want to, you know, maybe dive a little bit deeper into the board and, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, what are some common traits that you have found, you know, in you having worked in multiple markets? What are some traits that um, people have in common to make them successful board members, especially advisory board members? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it is a bit different than... Uh, typical 501c3 nonprofit where our board members don't have a fiduciary responsibility, um, where they're not approving the bylaws, they're not hiring and firing the executive, they're not necessarily uh, approving the budget. And so in our structure, we're really looking for their perspective, their connections, and their representational capacity, meaning what community or uh, group are they able to give us insight into that we might not otherwise have. So folks from different professional walks of life are really important, those professional skill sets, folks who have different levels of relationship with the university in terms of being uh, former students, parents, uh, otherwise involved in the university. We have a faculty representative, for instance, and those who represent other uh, groups and perspectives in the community. We want all of that to come together in our high-level leadership conversation. So representational capacity we look for, financial capacity we look for. Our board members do invest in the organization using uh, their personal resources at a level that feels um, appropriate and generous to them. And we want their availability to participate in the life of the organization in different ways. And that could either be through what we do here in Austin or uh, when I'm out on the road scouting performances, for instance, I'll often visit with a board member who lives in another city and talk about what's happening in their community and what the most interesting artists are or incredible projects that they've seen in their travels and how we can bring that into our work here in Austin. 
You know, that's really terrific. And I love how you, you know, how you really explained, you know, kind of how an, you know, an advisory board member works. And there was really two things that really stuck out to me and you kind of touched upon them that advisory board members are a little different in that, like you said, they have not the fiduciary responsibility, but the two, the two words that came up as you were describing, you know, what, what those folks do is they're really, they are, they're really ambassadors on one hand, and they're really advocates for the organization on the other hand, you know, because it's, you know, you talked about, you know, obviously they're going to help liaise connections to get more donations for the organization, but they also may, you know, have more human capital in that they may be really well served or well versed in a certain genre of the art world that the, or, you know, your, the TPA may want to be involved with that could help open up different programming. So it's not necessarily that ambassadors are necessarily a thousand percent tied to money, but there is also that element that they're going to be able to bring human capital resources, talent, or whatever those things are, you know, into the organization to help round out your programs. That's right. Yeah, we look for that kind of thought leadership and perspective, bearing in mind that we are a public organization. And in theory, all nonprofits are public organizations, but for us, it's really, really true because we're a component of the University of Texas, which is an entity of the state of Texas. We're the flagship university for the state. And so we need to serve the state's population in every way that we possibly can. And so we uh, value the input of the community in order to understand what that is and to be able to fulfill that mission. That sounds really good. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit more about different cities because, um, and I think I had mentioned this earlier, you moved from New York in the last few years and you, you know, someone who's moved, I believe you moved in 2019 You've kind of gone through a lot in the last in the last four years, just given, you know, how many things have gone on in the world with COVID and everything. You know, what advice would you give? And I think this is a really good question for someone who kind of had to start, stop and then start again. You know, and that is what advice would you give to someone who's looking to become involved with a nonprofit or performing arts venue in a new city, whether it's one that they're moving to or one that they visit frequently, you know, and they just want to be able to be more dialed into a particular artistic community that speaks to them. Right. What's been really valuable and important for me is to learn as much as I can and become as well connected as possible in the local community. And in Austin, we have a rich and varied ecosystem of artists and arts organizations that is very different from New York and where I really made my career and worked for more than 20 years. So that's been an exciting and fun adventure for me to learn a, a new community and also a bit attenuated, as you said, because of the pandemic, it was sort of start and stop. Uh, and folks who were leading organizations through that crisis did a lot of crisis management that put some of the um, local connection making and discovery and education on hold, but I'm really committed to doing as much of that as possible because we have to be able to demonstrate our impact on a local level, even for an organization that is nationally impactful, is internationally visible and active. It really starts from our local community and how are we serving our immediate local community being, uh, and it's really communities because it's more than one is how we think of it, that we have, for instance, 52,000 students at the University of Texas. We have the population of the city of Austin and the greater central Texas 
uh, region. We have this state because we're part of a flagship institution and sort of concentric circles go out from there. And so we think about a lot of different communities, sometimes in relationship with each other and how our organization can serve as many of them as well as possible, which starts from knowing what the local needs are. Uh, what are the local artistic needs? What are the interests of the local audience? What are the um, mechanisms of philanthropy that exist in the community? What do people respond to? And to learn that as much as possible has been really gratifying for me. That sounds that sounds really cool. And I do want to ask, you know, kind of one follow up question, you know, with that. And that is kind of more what advice would you give to somebody who, um, you know, is still maybe even a little bit paralyzed by COVID or, you know, kind of had to stop for a period of time doing kind of working in the way that they were accustomed to and starting back up again? Like what, what's the first step that somebody should take that's just kind of paralyzed by what the last three years has done? There's a lot of people where that, that's still the case. Right. For folks who find themselves in that situation, I feel really empathetic and totally get it. What has been helpful for our organization is to and not invest any effort at all in trying to put things back the way they were and understand that the dynamics are very different now. Um, organizations have in some ways different jobs to do. The needs of our community are different. The philanthropic landscape has changed. The artistic landscape has changed. Audience behavior and attendance patterns have changed. Um, the economics have changed of the work that we do. And so to boldly step forward into meeting folks where they are and addressing needs as they currently are, even when we have to set aside old models that used to work for us. That's been the strategy that we've been using at Texas Performing Arts, and that's been really successful for us. We're on track now to have our uh, highest ever attendance year in the history of the organization and have easily exceeded our financial projections for the current year, which we're about to end. That's great. Congratulations. That's right. Because you all run on a fiscal year that basically goes with the school year from like, I believe it's September 1 to August 31 is what you all do. If I, you know, if I recall correctly, you got it. So um, before we hop on kind of and talk a little bit about, um, you know, the organization and kind of, you know, the performances that you all do, um, I do want to, you know, you know, just touch upon, um, you know, um, one more thing. And that is, you know, can you share a little bit about, um, for lack of a better term, an example or a specific way that you have adjusted in the last four years, you know, like you were talking about how what you did, you know, when you first came here is not necessarily how you're approaching things in the new world that has kind of come out post COVID. Right? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so many things we're doing differently. Um, one is that our staff structure is really different than it was before the pandemic. It's not necessarily a different size, but the positions and where they're focused is quite different. Um, so we needed, for instance, coming out of COVID to put a lot of investment in health and safety protocols in order to be able to have a robust reopening. And that required a different type of staff resource than the organization had before. Um, and for instance, we've wanted uh, coming out of COVID to put a lot of emphasis on our guest experience. What is it like when you come to our theaters? How are you greeted? 
How is security handled? We're now, we run 100% digital mobile tickets. Uh, so all of the days of printed paper tickets are gone and that requires staff members with a different type of expertise and in some cases a different staff structure than we had prior to the pandemic. So that's been one of the biggest priorities for me is getting the right structure of our organization and then the right people uh, filling those positions to help us work in these new ways. You know, and I want to say as someone who's gone, you know, gone to quite a few performances at TPA, I really do like the whole mobile aspect of it. I actually have found that the lines are much shorter to get in now than they used to be with the tickets, you know, with, with the paper tickets. So um, I've really welcomed that change that, you know, usually now I don't have to wait more than ever 60 seconds to get in, whereas there were times before in the old paper days where it would take five or 10 minutes sometimes to get through security. So, you know, bravo to you guys for doing that and, you know, using COVID as an opportunity to modernize and, you know, and catch up because really the whole world had to modernize during that time and taking those best practices from an experience that may have been challenging in COVID and using them to make the organization better. And I just think it's wonderful that you all have done that. Yeah, thank you. I'm really glad to hear that's been your experience. That's great. And our it's all kudos to our staff who have made that happen. And we did, pandemic, of course, was horrible for our uh, country and for our state and for our industry, but we, where we could, tried to make lemonade out of lemons. So as another example, we did a pretty substantial renovation within Bass Concert Hall when it became apparent that we were going to be closed for such a long time. And it allowed us to do a more thoughtful and more extensive renovation than we would have otherwise been able to under normal circumstances. So wherever we could try to squeeze a win out of the situation, we really went after it hard. So you got the most out of every runway that you could possibly possibly make or every square inch of that stage, you were able to just, you know, stretch those resources further. And that, you know, that's fantastic. And that, I, you know, I think that's a good segue into, you know, what you all do. And that really is, you all really do have such a, an impressive array and mix of performances, you know, and you can see plays, you can see concerts, you can see one, one person's shows. I mean, you can really see all these wonderful different things that, you know, really attracts a diverse audience. How do you think that that mix helps with one with ticket sales, but two, how do you think it helps create a devoted following? Yeah, that's, you're really right on that. To me, that is the um, most interesting part of our organization. There are not many others in the country that present the same breadth and depth and range of programming that we do from a big, uh, very successful Broadway series to concerts, comedy, family attractions, to up and coming artists who you maybe haven't heard of before, but who we think and often are going to turn out to be major stars in a few years, to uh, partnership projects with local organizations here in the community, things that are experimental or contemporary. Uh, we do all of that, and we don't privilege one or the other of those disciplines or genres or forms above the other, that we believe that all of those are incredibly important live experiences. And you could be coming to the theater to have a great night hearing an incredible comedian, or you could be coming to hear uh, a jazz musician who is just starting to break out on the scene, or you could be coming to see a Broadway play and bringing your family for the first time to something that's going to get your kids or your aunt and uncle in the theater uh, for the first time ever, maybe. And we love all of those experiences and we strive to create all of them. And I think that arts organizations historically have been 
more, um, especially classical organizations have gone more towards elitism or forms that were maybe exclusionary. And we want everyone to be able to see themselves in the programming that we put on. And when we think about something that's elite, it's in the way that you think about an elite athlete, right? We're, our space is right across the street from the Daryl K. Royal uh, Texas Memorial Stadium, right? So when we think about elitism, it's about artists who are at the top of their game. And that could be a violinist or a comedian or an actor. Um, and we want to bring people in contact with those great artists. Well, and, you know, what was great about this season, and I always say, you know, like a great party or a great community or a great, you know, performing arts venue, I always think of them as tapestries. And the more layers there are to that, the, the tapestry, the richer the overall experience. And, you know, what what I think was, you know, about this most recent season, the 2022-2023 season, was this was kind of the first start to finish, I don't want to say normal, but it was kind of the new normal season that you've all had in several years. And really, frankly, probably the first one you've gotten to kind of go through all the way start to finish without any abrupt stops or anything. You know, tell me about some of your favorite moments from the past, you know, TPA season. Oh my gosh, there were so many that were really great. A couple that stand out for me. Uh, we opened our Broadway season this year with Town, which is just a spectacular musical um, that was created over many years based on a kind of concept album of folk songs and turned up into a extraordinary Tony award-winning production. And it was something that our audiences were really hungry to see the first time that we tried to bring it, it got canceled by COVID. And so we rescheduled it into the slot to open uh, this past season and uh, completely sold out. It was one of the show's uh, highest grossing engagements in the country. And this is coming about a year and a half into their tour. So they played a lot of other markets already. And it was great to see so many students, especially high school students, college students, who really connected with the message, very hopeful message of this show. It's based on Greek mythology. So it's both smart and musically exciting. And it was just a great way to start the season that folks loved. Um, Another one that was really spectacular to me was Dance Theater of Harlem, which is then a top shelf American dance company that hadn't been in Austin in many, many years. And we brought them in February 2023 and sold out Bass Concert Hall, which is something that really doesn't happen for modern dance companies in this country anymore. It was uh, an amazing, incredibly diverse audience. The dancers performed so beautifully and it really showed that Austin is an arts town and that folks will come out to appreciate and engage with these extraordinary live performances. So that one was especially um, great for me to see. And we did a school performance too that was also completely full. Students came from as far away as San Antonio to oh, see wow. full-time performance of Dance Theater of Harlem. Um, so that to me is kind of what the flagship institution uh, should be doing in the state. And then we also loved having uh, a comedian like Jerry Seinfeld did two sold out performances as someone who grew up kind of watching the show to see him Absolutely. the first time was really special. And that kind of gives you a sense of the range of what we do uh, and that audiences were probably, there were some folks who maybe saw all of those and there were many people who were only interested in one of them. And we love that because we want to have something for everyone in that way. You know, that's incredible. Now, I do want to go back to something you said in the beginning about Hadestown. And I think this is something, um, 
you know, especially when you're dealing with talent or you're dealing with performers, you know, there's, you know, there's a, and with you all, it's a whole production. So, you know, can you talk a little bit about, you know, if someone has to reschedule something and I can't think of anything more than, you know, having to defer a couple of years, um, what's a piece of advice you would give to somebody on, you know, if something, you know, an act of God happens and you've got to reschedule, you know, what, what are some things or what are some actions that people should do, you know, to make sure that they're staying the course and that they're able to successfully reschedule whatever that, whatever that performance is or that performer is. Yeah, that's something we've had a lot of experience with over the past few years, much more so (laughs) than I've ever gotten earlier in my career, thanks to the pandemic. The strategies that have worked well for us are to communicate early and often uh, with our audience about what's happening. If we think there is a danger that something is going to be uh, canceled or postponed to um, be as upfront about that as possible. And then to make sure that both the artist and the audience are taken care of, depending on what the nature of the cancellation is. There's been a lot of discussion in the field of arts administration about how to do both of those things and the way our contracts are written and what our business, our standard business practices are around cancellation and rescheduling. And so for instance, for Texas Performing Arts, every engagement that was planned prior to the pandemic, we have eventually made good on. Uh, and in some cases it has taken several years for our availability and a particular artist's availability to align again. So we could bring them the last, the very last one of those is coming up this September. It's the last um, COVID caused cancellation and rescheduling of an artist that we had previously committed to presenting. And that's, you know, two and a half, three years on. Um, And then we make a judgment call if an artist does need to cancel, if it's within the relatively near term we'll reschedule it and make those tickets that an audience member has valid for the future performance. If it's very far into the future, we often will say, we think it's a more customer-friendly policy to just cancel the engagement, refund everyone's money. And then when we get the new date sorted out, however far into the future it is, invite folks to come back and get their tickets again. You know, and it's interesting, and over the last few years, there's definitely been both. And I think like the beginning of 2022, like when everyone thought Omnicron was over and it was, it happened and everyone would push stuff back a week or two weeks and some people would push stuff back a month. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a really, you know, interesting time. And, you know, you had touched upon that your final, you know, your final um, COVID reschedule is happening. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and what some of the other things that are going to be happening at TPA in the upcoming 2023, 2024 season are going to be? We're excited. We have a really incredible season coming up. Our Broadway and Austin season for 23-24 has uh, exceeded our goal for subscriptions by a wide margin. We're opening with Six, which is another Tony Award-winning new musical coming out of New York on its first national tour. In total, we have eight Broadway productions coming to Austin. Six of them are new, have never been to Austin before, and then we have two returning favorites, which are Wicked and Book of Mormon. And for a show like Wicked, we're gonna bring it in for three weeks. It hasn't been in Austin uh, since 2012, I believe was the last engagement. So where there are situations like that, where we have artists who should be in Austin, they haven't been here for a while. We really wanna be the organization that solves that and gets them coming back regularly. So some other examples coming up 
this season are Yo-Yo Ma, the incredible cellist, hasn't been in Austin in many years, and the Alvin Ailey Dance Company, another huge name. They tour nationally, internationally, and haven't been in Austin since TPA presented them last in 2009. So Austin now is the 10th largest city in the country. We want to make sure that we are part of the touring plans of the leading artists and productions um, in the world. And then we also have some really interesting contemporary experimental and new artists coming up. So someone like Samara Joy, who's an extraordinary jazz singer. She won the Grammy at just 23 years old for Best New Artist, as well as a Grammy for Best Jazz Vocal Album. Uh, she's coming and making her headlining Austin debut with us in December. We have a partnership with Austin's Fusebox Festival, which does incredible performance all around the city, celebrating their 20th anniversary in 2024. And so we're working with them on a series of year-round performances. And those are things that are very adventurous, often new works by incredibly creative artists that are staged in uh, very unique ways. So we have a first-time partnership with them that's bringing three or four projects into our season as well. That's incredible. And, you know, what I really like is, you know, you especially talked about you've kind of got the familiar in um, Wicked and Book of Mormon, and then you've got the new, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, and I know the last three years, it's been very difficult. And just in terms of kind of doing a full kind of storyboard of, you know, what you want to do in selecting specific productions for each season. You know, what, what is TPA's process? And, you know, I'm going to select these things, you know, in addition to, you know, that these folks haven't been here in a while. What is perhaps something that um, for maybe a newer work, you know, what is the organization selection process on, you know, on picking and selecting something? Some of the things that I think about are what are our audiences going to love? Um, what needs to be seen in our community, uh, whose stories are represented on our stages, and where are the blank spots. I'm really interested in seeing, because we do have large organizational scale and capacity to really move the needle in our community, where are there gaps, right? That's something that another organization maybe isn't doing or no one is focused on where we could really make an impact on one of the communities that we're trying to serve. So I think a lot about that. And then also what's new? What are the emerging trends and most exciting developments in the field of arts and culture? What's happening in LA? What's happening in New York? What's happening in London? What's the most interesting project from the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year uh, and some of the other international festivals? And how can we get them here to Austin and introduce our audiences, our students, our communities to those artists and their practices? And also what's going to be a great time in the theater? What's going to give people an opportunity to laugh and experience joy and do something with their family? Um, those are all the questions that we ask. You know, and I've got to say, as someone who's gone, been fortunate enough to go to many things over the years, um, I've never had a bad time at CPA. And in fact, on the most recent thing I went to was the... Um, Gladys Knight, Patti LaBelle concert on Juneteenth. And when Patti LaBelle made an unexpected entrance, we were like on the aisle, like two rows behind where she entered. And she came in mid-song. It, it was, it's probably one of the coolest concert things that's ever happened to me. 
And I was like filming, like I literally just put my phone up to like, you know, film the stage and literally my husband like pulls my shirt and I'm like, what? He's like, turn around. And I'm like, she's like literally walking right by us. So, you know, it, it what's so fun about an organization like yours and, and a space like that, that's not a stadium, but, you know, accommodates a couple thousand people is it allows for those types of moments to happen in really organic ways that really make for such fun things like I'll never forget that as long as I live because it was just a, you know in a space that you know a space where there's a couple thousand people where you're amongst many but it still feels intimate really lends for those opportunities so um you know bravo to you guys for the 2022-2023 season and you know what you have upcoming and before we go um I do want to you know end with one final question and that is you know you talked about you've got multiple venues, you know, what's an, a piece of advice you would give to someone, you know, who has a performing arts theater and they've got multiple theaters. What advice would you give from a programming perspective to them? We look for what the opportunities are to bring artists and audiences together. Uh, I think that our communities need arts organizations more than ever right now, uh, as we are coming out of the pandemic and we live in a um, time of turmoil in some ways, and the arts are a real antidote to that. How do we bring people together? How do we create joy? How do we educate, entertain, foster new understanding, expand people's horizons? We're looking for the projects that can do that, the projects, the great artists, the incredible productions who can speak to people in those ways. And then we figure out what the logistics are. What is the right theater to put it in? What's the right time to schedule it? How do we make it economically sustainable for us? But it starts from the core question of what can we do to serve our community in the best possible ways? That is the absolute perfect way to end, I think. You know, what can you do to serve your community in the best possible ways? And TPA for many, many years has just done that so effectively and so well and really represents the range of artistry and just the range of people. I, I never cease to be amazed every time I go into TPA, you know, just the specter of humanity that walks into really any performance. And I just think it's wonderful what you all do to bring people together to really form and shape minds. And Bob, thank you again for joining us today. It was great to chat with you, Rab. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. And for more information on Texas Performing Arts, visit texasperformingarts.org. And that will do it for this episode of Fun and Fundraising. I'm your host, Rob Giardinelli, reminding you to keep it fun, keep it interesting, and your guests will have a great time. Have a great day, everyone, and take care.